so we're looking at the Lord's Prayer, and last week I went through kind of quickly uh, the three different religious activities, if you will, that Jesus wanted to address, that of almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. And Jesus taught us that he didn't want us to be hypocrites. Wow, that went forward really fast. What's happened there? Okay. Jesus doesn't want us to be hypocrites. And we'll touch on that real briefly uh, as we look at this passage, because we will look at Jesus' introduction to the topic of prayer. Let's look at the Sermon on the Mount, right? Jesus wants us to be different. He wants us to be salt and light. He wants us to be nonconformists in the sense that we're not like the world. He wants us to live differently. And so if we're going to live differently, then we should what? We should pray differently. We shouldn't pray like the rest of the world prays. So let's look and see what Jesus has for us. And again, this first part is going to be a little bit of a repeat from last week. I'm just going to kind of hit the points briefly as we lead into the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, he says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So as we look at this text, you know, this is, I don't, I'll get back to that in a second. That one should have been first. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So as we look at this section today, as we look at the Lord's Prayer, what I want us to glean from this is that as children of our Heavenly Father, through faith, we have exclusive access to unlimited power and resources. As children of our Heavenly Father, through faith, we have exclusive access to unlimited power and resources. So with respect to the verses I just read, Jesus begins by saying, when you pray. So the assumption here is that we're going to pray. So we're going to pray regularly. Most books that you read on prayer are very convicting. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is from John MacArthur on the, on the concept of prayer, that prayer uh, is to the Christian spiritual life what oxygen is to the body, what breathing is uh, to us as humans. We can't live without it. So Jesus assumes that we're going to be praying. We're going to be praying. He says, when you give, when you fast. So there's an assumption there that you're going to do these things. And so, if you will, just mentally uh, take an inventory of how much time you have spent in prayer over the past week. Think about that for just a minute. What role does prayer play in your life? Again, the first section of this, uh, this passage really is, is a corrective. Uh, it's, he's correcting bad behavior, and then he's trying to form good behavior as we look at the Lord's Prayer. But do you pray regularly? Do you pray humbly, right? We don't want to be like the hypocrites. Again, we saw last week how the hypocrites were trying to approve people. They were, um, they'd fallen prey to approval addiction. They wanted to look good in front of other people. They wanted other people to think highly of them. Their greatest concern was not what God thought of them, but what other people thought of them. 
as I was studying this week, and uh, the book that I've been reading recently is Kevin Young's book on prayer. Uh, anything that Kevin Young writes is, if I had three, I'd put three thumbs up, okay? Uh, Kevin Young is great, and his book on prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is, is very good. But he makes this statement about hypocrisy. He says, doing what is right when you don't feel like doing it, doing what is right is maturity. So praying when you don't feel like praying, when nobody knows that you're praying, is a sign of maturity. Professing one thing in public, praying freely in public, oh, it's time to go to church and pray, and you haven't prayed all week. And not praying regularly on your own when nobody can see, well, that's hypocrisy. Okay. Now, I'm not in any way saying don't pray because you have, I mean, like, if you go to a public meeting and, and you want to pray, pray. Don't not pray because you haven't prayed, okay? But you need to think through why you're doing what you're doing, I guess is the point. And you need to be humble, okay? Are you doing it because of pride? Is that why you're praying? Because you want others to think good of you at that moment? Are you in humility praying because the God of the universe has called you to pray and you're submitting to his will in prayer? So we pray regularly, we pray humbly, we pray personally. But when you pray, go into your room and close your door and what? Pray to your Father. This is about a relationship. This is so important. Your Father who is unseen. So I think oftentimes we think of um, we think of our prayer times as a transaction. Oftentimes we view, of our, view our, um, Christianity as, as transactional, right? So okay, I'm going to go to the ATM of street cred or good cred with God, right? Because if I go and pray right now, that means I get some, like, I get some chips in the category of, of God, right? And, 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 and I get to cash in these chips throughout the day because I spent some time in prayer, right? So I get this, this transaction. It's like an ATM machine. God's an ATM genie. And so God wants us to be in relationship with him, in communication with him. And we'll see in a minute, really, the way that you pray can kind of reveal, are you in relationship with him, or are you transacting with God? Kevin DeYoung also says this, he says, prayer is not a recipe, it's a relationship, right? We all want the good life, we all want things to go well. I want a good day, so I'm going to get up and I'm going to pray, and so you have the recipe for a good life. You know, praying three times a day for 30 minutes. Pray kneeling, preferably standing with your hands raised if possible. And there's nothing wrong with either way. I'm just kind of, work with me on this. Pray the right scriptures. Pray with the right emotion. Pray with fasting when you're really serious about it, right? So there's, these res- there's this recipe, right? There's this, uh, there's this, program, right, for prayer according to what you need and how how badly you really need it because you want a happy life. Now, again, there's nothing wrong, obviously, with praying three times a day for 30 minutes. That's a good thing. That would be a really, really good thing. I think we see the pattern in Scripture where God's people would gather three times a day for prayer. Nothing wrong with kneeling or standing with your hands up in the air. Or praying according to the scriptures. I think that's very good. If you're moved while you're praying emotionally, right? We're emotive creatures, some more than others. That's fine. That's great. Fasting, 
You know, if that's what you want to do so that you can draw close to God and pray, spend time in prayer, right, then that's fine. But this is not, this, this is not just, okay, I'm going to do these things so I can get from God. I'm going to do some cosmic arm twisting so that I can get what I want and have a happy life. Right? We want to pray with purpose, right? The purpose is the glory of God in all things. And we'll get to that next week. So I'm going to pray personally. It's about relationship. Pray without ceasing. We also want to pray confidently. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Right? We saw this last week that in each case, with almsgiving, prayer, and fasting, you do it not to be noticed by men, but to be noticed by God. And guess what? There is a reward that God will reward you. And again, we're not, it's, you're walking the fine line between transaction and quid pro quo kind of thing, right? That's, some people look at it that way. Oh, you're doing this so that you get that. But I think the more time we spend in prayer working on our relationship with God, submitting to his will, it becomes all about God and what God wants and submitting to the will of God instead of getting what you want out of the prayer. But when we pray, we pray confidently. We're going to see this in just a minute. Confidently, why? Because you're praying to the creator of the universe. There's nothing impossible for God. He knows what you're going to pray before you pray it, so pray with confidence. We're told in Romans chapter 8, even when you don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes with, with imperceptible groanings, praying according to the will of God on your behalf for the glory of the Father. So we pray confidently when we come before God. And, and I would like to add this, that when we pray, again, I said this last week, we pray with confidence, because you're praying as a child of God, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, and on that basis he hears you. You have confidence not in yourself, but in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, and that your Father, he hears, he knows, he sees. But he also wants us to pray simply. He wants us to pray simply, right? He says, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling. The ESV says, with empty phrases. Like the pagans, um, we, can, we can fall into the habit of using certain phrases when we pray, and it's not necessarily bad um, to, to have, it's not wrong to use the same phrases when you pray. I, I think it does become mindless repetition. And, and we, we've been around people who use the same expression again and again and again when they're praying, and it's, it's almost like a nervous thing. I don't know that they're like empty babbling. But I think we want to be careful when we pray, okay, because God is our Father, He's listening, He's a person, He's in a relationship with us, and He wants us to communicate with Him like any other person. If we were to record one of our prayers and listen to it, and assume that it's a conversation with another person, I think we'd probably be amazed at what we're saying and how we're saying it. We'd probably almost be embarrassed by it. I know I would be embarrassed at myself, okay? So I'm not just casting stones at you. I'm, I'm looking at myself and thinking through how I pray. But we're going to see in a second that Jesus wants us to pray simply, right? Because your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. 
So when we pray, we don't have to impress God with our formulas or our spontaneity. He knows what we need before we ask. When we pray, we don't pray because God needs help running the universe. God operates independently of us. We don't pray to change God's mind. I know there are places in Scripture where it looks like people were pleading with God and that God was, they were pleading with God. It doesn't look like they were pleading with God. Did God all of a sudden have a change of mind? Well, God is immutable. Okay, so God doesn't change his mind. Does he relent? Yes, but that was according to his will. So we don't pray to change God's mind. We don't, tri- uh, we don't pray to engage in cosmic arm twisting to get what we want. We pray because God has ordained means to accomplish his ends. Prayer. He has arranged things so that we, he will give more grace to those who petition him for it. So God does work through prayer. God doesn't need prayer, but he uses prayer like he uses other means. Right? God ordains the means and the ends. He's already ordained what's going to happen. He is sovereign, completely sovereign. What is going to happen is according to the sovereign will of God. But he has ordained the means of prayer to accomplish that end. And you and I are part of that. Just like he uses means in other ways. He uses rain to grow crops, sun to warm the earth, food to strengthen the body. In the same way, God uses prayer to do his sovereign work. In prayer, we are not instructing God as much as we're instructing ourselves. We're learning as we pray. We're submitting as we pray. Kevin DeYoung says this, what we need when we pray is less awareness of ourselves and more awareness of God. This is hard. This is maturity. When I pray, I'm not going through a spiritual soliloquy like this. The soliloquy would be like you're walking around making a speech into the air and nobody's hearing it. A ritual for the day. Or something important to check off before I go to work. When you pray, you're speaking to God the Father. You're speaking to my Father and my God. Kevin DeYoung says. So, as we transition to the next section, one, don't neglect prayer. How much time do you spend praying? Really, it's a matter of faith, right? If you really believe God works through prayer, if you believe that God is and that he rewards those who diligently seek him, then you'll pray. But don't pray like the world. Mindless babbling, empty words. Do pray like Jesus. And so Jesus is going to instruct us in how to pray. So, uh, I don't know how many of you, uh, I, I try to mix it up here as I use these examples. Right? When I was young, I loved basketball. I spent way too much time dribbling a basketball. Like way too much. Way, way too much. But if if Steph Curry came up to me and said, hey, you know what, I want you to work on your jumper this way. This is how you shoot a jump shot. Practice this about 10,000 times, and it'll go in, right? That's literally 
That's what he's done. But if Steph Curry were to show up and say, this is how you shoot a jumper from behind the three-point line, I think I'd be listening to him. I'd be taking notes. I'd be doing exactly what Steph Curry said. How about if Emeril Lagasse said, hey, let me show you how to make shrimp crew. I'm going to come into your house, and I'm going to teach you step by step. I'm going to give you instructions on how to make the best shrimp creole you've ever eaten. I'd be taking notes. I'd be following his directions, not doing what I want to do. Or, ladies, if Joanna Gaines walked into your house and said, you've done such a great job. It looks so good. But let me give you some pointers here. Let me show you how you can decorate your house in a way that people will stand back and go, whoa. Right? You guys would listen. But I think you get the point, right? And so what Jesus is saying here, and he's teaching us how to pray, is this is how you pray. He's giving us a pattern for prayer. Right? If you want to talk about the Lord's Prayer, really you would go to, what, John chapter 17, right? It's really the Lord's Prayer. So he's, he's instructing us how to pray. The disciples' prayer, but most of us refer to this as the Lord's Prayer. When I was in high school, again, back to basketball, this is, in football, this is blasphemous, really. Uh, but our, our, our coach, before the game, right, so you have all this nonsense going on throughout the week before the game, and then there's this moment, you know, right before we go out for the kickoff, or right before you go out for tip-off, and, and the coach says, all right, everybody down on one knee, and we would recite the Lord's Prayer together. You know, at the time, I thought it was really cool, right? Because we were doing, the other team wasn't it, since we were doing it like we were on the Lord's side and like God was going to bless us because, because we said the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> I think most of us have been in situations where people have treated the Lord's Prayer in that way. Cyprian of Carthage says this, what praying to the Father, what praying to the Father can be more truthful than that which was delivered to us by the Son who is the truth out of his own mouth? So we pray simply, God sees and God hears, he knows what you're going to pray before you ask him, but there are certain things that we should pray for. And so, Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then, you know, if you're familiar with King James, you've seen the song, you know, yours is the power and the glory forever, amen. You know, so there's an ending of the Lord's Prayer that's not in the earliest manuscripts. Um, and, and so that's why it's not included here. Uh, it's a conversation for another day. It's a great ending. It's great. It's the glory of God. You know, we're going to talk about that next week, uh, but it's not in the original manuscripts, and so it was an addition. So Jesus teaches us how to pray, and he wants us to keep it simple. He wants our prayers to be simple. The only begotten Son of God supplies words to our lips that free our minds from all wavering, right? So, so if you kind of know the kinds of things that Jesus wants you to pray for, you're not like, like you, know, you know, wringing your hands like, okay, what, what should I pray for? Jesus makes it clear these are the kinds of things that we should pray for. And so he says, when you should pray, this is how you should pray. And really it's divided up into two sections, right? The first section there in verses 9 and 10 is, God is great. God is awesome. He is powerful. 
It's about God's glory. The second part is God is good and he wants to meet your needs. Our daily bread, our forgiveness, right? And, and fighting the fight, the spiritual battle against the evil one. It's also interesting to note in the Lord's Prayer that there's a plural used, our Father. Us, us, we, us, us. And so the Lord's Prayer, in some senses, is meant to be prayed together with other people, or it's assumed that when you, you are going together on a regular, brace, a regular basis and pray with other people, as the body of Christ should. Really, I think that's all that we need to take from our us uh, uh, we. Is it's in the plural, it's assumed that, that we will be praying with other people at times. Is it wrong for churches to recite this prayer together in unison? No, it's fine. I went to a church uh, when I was in Richmond, a Southern Baptist church, and they sang the Lord's Prayer every week. It was pretty incredible, actually. It was kind of like the highlight of the service for me. It was kind of like shake the roof, you know. It was beautiful. So as you look at the Lord's Prayer, we want to pray with confidence. We want to pray with confidence. I'm going to give you two reasons now why we should pray with confidence as we look at the very first part of of verse 9. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. So we want to pray with confidence because as his child, you have exclusive access to the Father. As his child, you have exclusive access to the Father. Our Father in heaven. It's easy to gloss over that. When you think of the word Father as it relates to us and God, this is, is pretty much an exclusively in a Christian concept. In the Old Testament, it's not as familiar. God is mentioned as Father in the Old Testament. One of my favorite places is mentioned is Psalm 103, as the Father has compassion on his children, right? You know, so God has compassion on you. He forgives our sins. In the New Testament, though, it explodes, right? 245 instances of God as Father in our relationship with him. And so the question is, is God the Father of everybody? In Acts chapter 17, Paul, as he talks to the Areopagus, the people at Mars Hill, mouth is dry, as he speaks in Athens at that gathering, that I can't say the name right now for some reason, he says, we're all God's offspring. He's speaking to unbelievers, and he's saying we're all God's offspring. So there is a sense in which people could say, yes, we are all, we all derive from God. He's the father of all in the sense that we have life given to us by the father. You can make that case, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about those of us who are children through the new birth, that if people who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and we are brought into the family of God. In John chapter 1, yet to all who did receive him, receive him means to trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, to those who believed in his name, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will. No, children born of God. And we have an intimate term, thank you so much, In Romans, we're given an even more intimate name for God as, as Abba, as one who is listening and working through the power of his spirit, right? For those who are led by the spirit of God are what? Children of God. 
The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, what? Abba, Father, or Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So that's a very, that's a very uh, close, intimate term, a term of endearment, Abba, Father. Uh, I think at this point I would, I would probably caution against, you know, you know Daddy, you know, talk. it's not wrong to call your Father in Heaven Daddy because, I mean, here, Abba, that's what it means, okay, it's, it's an endearing term. But I would just be careful with that. That's my personal opinion on that. But we have this great privilege to call God our Father. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. Right? So we can pray with confidence because we have a relationship with God that the rest of the world doesn't have. And that relationship comes through the new birth. And Hebrews tells us that relationship brings us into the very throne room of God, that we are ushered into the presence of God through the blood of Jesus as we pray. So as you pray and you're speaking with Father, in a, your Father in heaven in a relationship, He is in your presence. You are in His presence. He's not some dis, distant cosmic overlord. He's there with you. You are there with Him. And so we have this exclusive access to the Father, it's given to us through Jesus Christ, and we can call God Father. But we also pray with confidence because your Father has the power and the resources to provide. This Father that we pray to is in heaven. He's in heaven. So when we say our Father in heaven, we need to be careful about thinking about this localized place. So God is he's in this heavenly room, in this, on this heavenly throne. And we're localizing God. God is spirit. You can't contain God. God's in a different, he, he's in a whole different uh, existence. I want to think of a plane of existence, uh, dimension, if you will, spiritual dimension, okay? And so we want to be careful when we think about God in heaven, right? Our mind, I think, you know, our Father who art in heaven, it goes to probably things that we, our mind's in shape by the movies that we've watched. We have puffy clouds and God's sitting on a throne and, they, you know, be careful of that. We're praying to our Father who is in heaven. And this Father who is in heaven, he's not a, a drab and dull deity, right? Jai Packer says this. He says, the vitality of prayer lies largely in the vision of God that prompts it. What is your vision of God? How do you view God? What do you believe about God? What you believe about God determines how often you're going to pray, how fervent you're going to pray, and the types of things that you pray for. If you have a very small view of God, you're not going to pray very often. Draft thoughts of God make prayer dull. Our Father who is in heaven, he is the God who created all things in six days. The God who sustains all things by the power of his word, he is our heavenly Father. The God who created a nation from one man to bless all of humanity, he is our Father in heaven. The God who enabled a 90-year-old woman to give birth, he is our Father in heaven. The God who sees the forsaken maidservant in the wilderness, he is our heavenly Father. The God who created a nation by parting the Red Sea, he is our heavenly Father. The God who caused the sun to stand still, he is our heavenly Father. The God who raised up a king from a shepherd boy, he is our heavenly Father. The God who brought down fire from heaven to light the altar fires of the prophet, he is our heavenly Father. The God who, uh, <clears throat> who defeated the armies of the Assyrian, the Assyrian army of 185,000, he is 
our Heavenly Father. And I could go on and on and on. Think about the God of the Bible and how great He is. And He is the one with whom you have direct access. He is the one who knows what you need before you ask Him. He is the one who has unlimited resources to answer your prayer. God is my Father. My Father is God. Think of it that way. My Father is the Heavenly Father. He is the God of the universe. But what I love about this is that though He is so great and powerful, He condescends to the lowly. Isaiah 57. For this is what the high and exalted one says. He lives, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place. Again, this is anthropomorphism. You can't contain God. He is transcendent. He is apart from our existence. He is greater than all. He is apart. He is the other. But he also lives with one who is contrite and lowly spirit. Pray humbly. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 113. Because in Psalm 113, there's this amazing contrast between our Heavenly Father, the great Father of the universe, the great Creator, the great Sustainer of all things. You get this picture of God, and then we see that He condescends to the poor and the lowly. Psalm 113, verse 4. The Lord is exalted over all the nations. His glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of the people. This is so beautiful. I don't know of a more desperate situation than of a woman who can't bear children, who wants to bear children, can't do that. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. The great transcendent God of the universe is your heavenly Father, and he condescends to you through the person and work of Jesus Christ. He has unlimited resources. He wants to hear from you. He loves you. And what parent doesn't want to hear from their children? I mean, think about that on a practical level. Parent, how do you feel if, if your kids go someplace else asking for help when they need it? God wants to hear from you. As his child, as children of our Heavenly Father through faith, we have exclusive access to unlimited power and resources. Amen? So next week as we come together to look at the Lord's Prayer, we want to pray with purpose. Because as we pray for the glory of God, it transforms the way we think about everything. And that's what Jesus wants us to do. And we'll see that next week. Let's pray, and we'll sing together. Father, we thank you uh, for this pattern of prayer given to us by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, make us a people of prayer. Oh, Father, please work in our hearts. Help us to have a, a great view of you as God, the Heavenly Father that that would transform the way we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name.